to the Iowa Idea Podcast. Join host Matt Arnold for in-depth conversations with artists, designers, entrepreneurs, and civic leaders as he explores how they approach their craft and represent a modern version of the Iowa Idea. This podcast tells the stories of Iowa natives, transplants, and friends who demonstrate the Iowa Idea in the 21st century. How do we create a more human future of work? On this episode of the Iowa Idea Podcast, I'm joined by Jen Rice. Jen is the founder and CEO of Groundbreaking LLC, an integrated coaching and strategy firm that nurtures a natural growth of impact-driven leaders, brands, and businesses, or as Jen describes them, rebels with a cause. We talk about Jen's journey from advertising and account planning with a fascination for what makes humans tick to management consulting with a focus on brand and customer experience, to burnout and her transformative approach to coaching. A reinventor herself, Jen left her consulting career for a 14-country journey across Europe. In early 2019, she's currently based in Egypt, where she's building a network of groundbreaking coaches and strategists to support status quo-busting founders worldwide. We dig into Jen's approach to aligning the walk with the talk, as Jen says, quote, there's got to be a better way, end quote, when it comes to how we enable humans at work. Jen describes the power of coherence and how we create wholeness in organizations and what Jen describes as the motivation DNA of the people within our organizations. I appreciate Jen's focus with start with who as a principle that transcends customer centricity. It really comes down to the leaders and leadership teams and how they're wired and how they want to feel. We also explore organizations as ecosystems with emotions as the nutrients for humans in that system and how we can better address the, quote, me within the we, end quote, to positively activate the human layer of work in organizations. Within the ecosystem metaphor, Jen describes the power of a regenerative approach. We mix it up on the power of brands, how we might reframe brands, and how organizations can fill the leaky bucket of their customer retention efforts. It was an honor having Jen join me on the show. This episode was a deep investigation into the power of bringing one's best self to their work and being intentional on how we show up. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Jen, thank you so much for joining me here on the Iowa Idea podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here. If you don't mind, for our guests, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, yes, that is quite the open question. Uh, first and foremost, I'm a rebel with a cause, uh, which is the kind of human I call um, fast-thinking status quo busters. Uh, that also describes the kind of clients I love working with. My background's 30 years of customer-centric strategy, and I shifted to transformation coaching over the past couple years. And now I'm launching a new company called Groundbreaking, which knits together coaching and strategy to help disruptors and rebels with causes get unstuck and create impact at scale. Awesome. Thank you. I, and I know we've chatted before and I've just loved our, our conversations and there's, I think, some similar background, but I don't want to be, uh, you know, make too many assumptions. Uh, so I'm really excited about our, our conversation today. Uh, yeah, 
going back a little bit, kind of the these interests that you have that seem to be rooted in customer centricity, customer experience, brand strategy and identity, and, and those seem to be maybe more at an organizational level. And now you've been bringing those into individual transformation. Uh, do you mind talking a little bit about about that journey, and and we can probably weave in your interests on on how you got interested in that kind of customer centricity, and then the rebel kind of with a cause. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's been a long and rambling journey that has created a lot of uh, complexity. I'm not entirely sure how to go about unpacking my experience, but I actually started out in the advertising world. Uh, fairly quickly moved into account planning. I was very curious about what makes humans tick? Uh, I actually think that was the first question I asked myself as a child. I remember asking myself, why am I the way I am? So I even remember the first project, strategy project I was involved with where we arrived at the three different emotional motivators for different types of customers was freedom, security, and esteem. And that was, kind of eye-opening for me. Oh, people make decisions based on emotion. And this was 25, 30 years ago. This was a long time ago. And that has now been the theme for the rest of my career. So I proceeded then to move on from advertising into management consulting, customer-centric, both brand innovation, customer experience, uh, strategy for usually global companies, moved on to Ah, took a detour into the world of sustainability, mostly around aligning the walk with the talk. So if you're going to talk about sustainability, let's make sure you're actually doing it, but do it at a level that aligns with how much your customers care about it. So um, at least visible market facing. Right. So I took a little detour into sustainability and also, you know, kind of deforestation and all kinds of random things. And then I found myself back in the corporate world, um, again, doing customer centric strategy at Forrester, um, kind of knitting together best practices across entire organizations and how they all, um, can be linked to, an emotion, like every high growth brand anchors itself on an emotion. So whether it's Amazon gives you control, whatever you want, whenever you want, you know, Uber does the same thing. Virgin Airlines, the, the rebels that, you know, any really high growth brand is, is emotional. And at the end of the day, I've done so much research and it's emotion drives behavior. So I'm slogging away in corporate America and, um, hit burnout in 2019, uh, sold everything, got a one-way ticket to Europe, roamed around for a while, celebrated my birthday in the South of France. That was lovely. And, uh, and try to figure out what was next for me and got into coaching and not just coaching, but it was a deeply personally transformative experience for me to drop in out of my thinking mind into my body and do what I call navigate like a bat, not by sight, not by analysis, but actually feeling my way forward. And it was completely transformative. And so I've been coaching and that's when I realized what the missing link was with all my customer centric work 
was that it really all comes down to the founder, the leadership team, how are they wired? What lights them up? I had never asked myself how I wanted to feel in my life. So few people actually ask ourselves that. And it's all about like what we want. It's something outside of ourselves, but let's start with how we want to feel and then reverse engineer everything else in order for us to feel that way. So it's, um, I'm now working in this uh, intersection of um, founder team customer as like, this is the nucleus. It's start with who, who are we as human beings? And then that ends up being the, let's say the DNA that replicates into something amazing. I I love it. There's, there's uh, more than a few threads that I'd love to tug on there if you don't mind. Uh, one uh, from the, and this is kind of throwing my mental model or beliefs out there too, but uh, he's talking about brands and the the emotion of, of strong brands. And that's been my belief in in kind of the, the brand and design work is that hu- humans aren't rational creatures, right? We're rationalizing creatures. So we, we can we can do a great job trying to explain why we did something. But at the end of the day, it really was some strong emotional connection or pull. And as, as you meant, like going back to some of those kind of basic drivers, right? Freedom, security, or esteem. How do I want to feel? What do I want to do? When you and I have talked, and it's worth mentioning, uh, you know, I was introduced to you through a friend of the podcast, John Morley, somebody we have in contact. I know he, too, some of the things he talks about is your, the the importance of how people show up and the the individual. And I think the way I'm hearing what you're doing, what I, I love about it, but please please poke holes in it if I'm if I'm on is um, humans themselves are complex, right? And so then when you put a network of humans together, right, you're already it's already becoming this complex system. So how might we guide it? And I think we've spent so many decades of management theory trying to get humans to like fit into the machine rather than how do we harness and leverage that power. That's kind of a ham-fisted statement prompt question. I don't know if there's anything in there that you'd want to respond to. I I could totally run with this for days. Um, (laughs) I think you you hit the nail on the head. One of the things that I'm really passionate about, having been a cog in the machine, is how do we create a more human future of work? And so far, everything has been operated out of you know, kind of the, 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 the analyzing mind loves to categorize and put things in boxes. And there are many humans that don't fit well with boxes. We play well at the intersections, right? And yep. making sure that companies or organizations exist to, um, there's got to be a better way. Like we don't operate like machines. And if we actually honor who we are as human beings, and we're all given this opportunity to play a role, whether that's, you know, the, the rebel, the challenger, the, the guardian, the, the, the weaver that weaves together everything. Like that's kind of my gift of playing at the intersections and seeing how things connect. There's always these, roles and we don't design companies for human beings we stuff human beings into boxes yeah right yeah yeah and one of the things too along that is my my belief that 
on the customers that customers buy value, but they don't buy org charts, but those boxes and org charts just bleed out into the world. And it, it might not be intentional, but it's organizations are really big at trying to push their departments out into the world rather than getting to some of those, those principles some of which you mentioned the the high growth brands and when you'd said that you'd mentioned uber and amazon and one of the things that i always find interesting from an innovation perspective is uh companies that came before them and companies that were disrupted by them they all had the same tools and opportunities right it's it's not like amazon invented the internet it's not like Uber invented kind of mobile phones as, as connecting, but the things that they did to empower and understand the customer kind of transformed it. So I, I always find that interesting as well as um, this might be going off topic, but sometimes how an organization frames their understanding of the world, right? And then, then that becomes like creates blind spots that they can't see other opportunities. And another uh, one uh, friend of mine who used to work at Kodak, we kind of talk about you know, the, the broad stroke issues at Kodak, but he was a product manager there when they burned through $28 billion of war chest capital, right? But they became a chemical engineering company. They, they were focused on right, the, the goodness of quality of the paper, right? but was, but not framing it as what, what do humans really want to do? They want to capture and curate memories. And right when you, but when you, you see it as a chemical engineering problem, you're not going to see Right, the possibility of digital, or or what might happen, or what tools do we have? And I find those those are stories that I just find interesting. The hard part is they're they're easier to because they're complex. They're easier to assemble in hindsight than while you're in it. Uh, but I do. That's why I think about complex. Is a lot of your work that really resonates with me is that that power of the individual and and almost how do we put new lenses on this energy or light that we have in new ways that honor kind of human or humanity centered rather than again we've we've always been structured this way so we'll continue to do that until we run out of business right yeah and i think to your to your first comment i think the the benefit of having done what i've done for 30 years is it's been very evident to me what causes uh failure companies lack even just lack of thriving and it comes down to disconnection fragmentation silos fiefdoms thousand points of light i went into a company that a uh, global company but you probably wouldn't have heard of them and they had at 80 different customer personas and they didn't have 80 cut types of customers they only had five types of customers so this plethora this lack of unity, lack of coherence. So coherence is something that I've been fascinated with for decades. And if you look at coherent light, coherent light is a laser that cuts through steel. It's so powerful. Diffuse light has no power other than like, yay, it lights my, you know, my laptop right, and right. that's it. But um, coherence is, is, is incredible. And how do we create wholeness and coherence? And wholeness and coherence without the human connection is like the, the humanity is actually what creates the coherence because we can relate or, you know, whatever that example is. Right. And when you start really understanding what is the human um, nutrient in a living system, 
uh, I kind of think about it like a coral reef. And, and this is a, this is fundamentally the difference between, you know, the old way, which is the organization as a machine versus the new way, which is organization as a living system, as right. uh, as a, a coral reef or as a if you look at any kind of ecosystem, it always organizes around um, a keystone species. Right. So the keystone species is that species without which the entire ecosystem falls apart. So in, in our world, in this metaphor, it's the keystone species, our best fit customer. But the best fit customer ideally is still aligned with who the leaders are. They, everybody deeply understands the mindset. This is why so many companies that really built for themselves actually became wildly successful. Right. Um, so who is the key? So species, how, how, what do they need? What are the nutrients? And the nutrients are always emotional and they're real and they're human and we eat them up and then it attracts other people. Steve Jobs was a rock star at this. So he created the, the enterprise division of, of, of Apple. They never even advertised. They didn't even have a sales department. They, they were order takers. They grew a multi-billion dollar business because people just wanted it. And so this whole secret of, no, you think about creating so much value that everyone shows up and comes to you. And that value is not, we're a chemical company. The value is we under, you know, it, it's, it's that human, it's the human needs, it's the human connection, it's the human emotions. And that's what gravitates and magnetizes global ecosystems. Thank you. And from your, your experience and your your years of research and you know, just kind of throwing a, a, a fanboy card out there. I, you, during my career, I was a big fan of Forrester research and a couple of companies that I worked for, but we had access to, right, we were customers. So we had access to all kinds of, of reports. And so it was a, I really appreciate the analysis that goes into Forrester's work from your vantage point now, why do you think so many companies still struggle with what you're you're talking about from an ecosystem view a key you know the key the keystone kind of species because it seems so obvious when you're describing it but when you're you're in it and you're in these organizations that's the last thing on almost anybody's mind right like i've been in organizations you show, show up if you ask people even why why is your customer coming to you most of them don't know. I just work in this department, right? but why? Why do you think these org organizations struggle with some of these key principles that could help them with breakthroughs? Several reasons. Um, the number one reason I think, and this is my work now, yeah, is that people don't know themselves deeply. In and I thought I knew myself, by the way, from my first however 30 40 almost 50 years on this planet because i i am a self-analyzing machine right and but knowing yourself really is understanding who you are in relation to other people the me within the we and how am i different how am i the same when i honor how i feel and i honor my own emotions instead of pushing them away i can honor the emotions and feelings of someone else when I understand how I'm wired and what drives me and motivates me, then I can understand what drives and motivates somebody else. And that was this, this huge aha missing link 
for me um, is, and that's why I got into coaching is the essentialness of coming back home to ourselves and getting grounded in who we are so that we can better connect and heal the disconnection that are not, that is not only artificially structure structural, but that if we can actually activate this human layer may actually start dissolving that artificial structure. Thank you. Uh, a, a theme I'm, I'm hearing in there too. And again, we all have uh, mental models. So kind of throwing mine out there, but what I'm, I'm hearing in, in your approach to kind of the humans and, and start with, with who, right. Is, is, um, yeah, I, I'm, is intentionality, right? And to me, like intentionality and context for me are the biggest things in design, right? Like trying to abstract out there, but also being intentional, understanding the context. And I just wanted to check because I, you know, again, it's my mental model. So am I just finding these hooks? But it does sound like the the emphasis on who, as you as you talked about, some of the the key roles to the the leader, the customer, and the people in the organization. But that it sounds like that has to be an intentional act to to truly understand the who. Is that absolutely? I, I don't think, um, and I also think that there needs to be tools. I mean, that's what I've been building. Uh, so I use a tool called the Touchstone that yeah. integrates um, core needs. So there's kind of two different types of emotions. Um, there's mutable emotions, the ones that change all the time, happy, sad, mad, frustrated. It, it's reactive. Right. And then there's motivating emotions, the ones we want to move towards. And those motivating emotions typically are associated with one of the 12 core needs. So as we talked about before, it might be, right. you know, freedom or security or self-expression or purpose. So whatever that um, I call it motivational DNA is for you. Um, it's the need. It's how you feel when that need is met. It's a, a value. So I went through like almost 300 values and they tend to align to needs, um, which gives the value exercise. It takes it out of the cerebral. I'm going to randomly pick some nice sounding values from a list, which is normally what we do in values exercises. But when we associate values with a deeply felt sense of what drives us and motivates us, then it becomes a lived embodied, we embody those values. They are us. So there is this intentionality around understanding what drives me, how my values are associated with that. And then how does that show up in the world? How do I want to feel? How, do, how And who are the people that I work best with? What brings me alive and who's my tribe with whom we can all bring our, each other alive? The shared values that are not values on a wall, but they're deeply lived. Right. Yeah. And and the way you're describing too that, I, it, similar to the way you're talking about, but what what is energy taxing versus energy generating too, right? And 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 now, and, and I apologize because you're probably thinking, kids slow on the uptake but seeing these connections too on on the 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 sustainable and the transformational right these are where you can get uh sustainable energy rather than almost this extractive right which on the individual level leads to burnout 
right? And but if I'm energized, right, and stealing from Joseph Campbell, like it, you know, nothing energized or you know, nothing. Uh, wait, what was it? it was uh, uh, nothing vitalizes like a vital life, right? And so if you're able to bring your energy, that can be positively contagious, right? And and then also if you're down a little bit, but you're with those that support you and trust. Right. They can feed you, too, when you're you're down a little bit at, rather than everybody, everybody going in this downward spiral to kind of burn out and uh, just being frustrated with the way they spend most of their waking hours at the office. Right. Yeah. So you reminded me of I recently decided to take a step back and question the. What is a brand? I had. It's always been, I mean, I've been in brand forever, so it's always been uh, relevance. It's relevant to, you know, customers. It's credible by the brand. It's differentiated from the competitors. Maybe it's durable over time. There's sort of this uh, unquestioned gospel of what a brand is. And I questioned that and asked myself, what are the new tenets of a living system-based brand. And then I realized it also applies to the individuals who work in it and it's authenticity. Uh, if you're authentic, it automatically takes care of differentiation. So you're authentic and you're credible and differentiated, right? All yep. in one. Um, whole, wholeness, undivided, right? Uh, the third is flow or regeneration. Yeah. Uh, and, and I want to come back to this one because it's super important. And then the last one is resonant. And it's a, it's emotional resonance that gives you that sense of hell yes. Mm -hmm. So when you think about regenerative, here's an example uh, that's not connected necessarily to sustainability, which somehow the sustainability movement has, has um, dominated this word and taken it for themselves. But if you think about the overall let's call it the, the, the classic conversion funnel. So what ends up happening in most companies is they dump piles of money into sales and marketing so that they can go acquire customers. If there's a word that gets me up in arms, it's acquiring a human being. They do not grow on trees. You don't go buy them at the grocery store, right? But somehow we've got low hanging idea. humans for us to, to gather. Yeah, <laughs> that we, that we can just dump piles of money into sales marketing. And then you see that this sad little funnel to through conversion and to loyalty just dwindles to nothing because usually they don't even look at that. Right. So what happens is they're pouring money into a leaky bucket. So all of my customer centric work shows that if you actually focus on the bottom of the bucket on loyalty, and repurchase and customer lifetime value, you're, you're filling the holes in the bucket. So every drop that you add in the top is additive, it's generative. And then it's even more than additive because all of those customers that you have kept give you more and more revenue right. and through referrals and through their own. So it essentially, if you have a regenerative mindset, even in the most conventional sense, you can't help but be successful. And I don't necessarily think that you can do that unless you also understand how to be re regenerative yourself. And, and we don't need to go 
chase things and strive and for answers out there like we're chasing down trying to acquire customers or we're chasing trying to acquire success or we're chasing trying to acquire happiness or whatever it is that we're chasing but rather we get really grounded in who we are and we focus on the end in mind we heal the holes in our own buckets and we replenish our own energy and I think when we really start turning the tables, I call it reversing the flow because then things come to us and we don't have to strive and chase. We just enter the flow and it's joyful and it's regenerative. And this, this is what I have been learning personally and working with my clients on. I, I love that. And as I'm thinking about what you're saying, I'm thinking about some just, you know, going kind of old school business too, is like just going back to some basic Peter Drucker. But but after he had analyzed tons of organizations, it was simply as like, if you, if you are basically innovating and making the products that the customer really needs and wants, that you don't worry about sales, right? You you have to tell the story of what you have, but it's not a sales story. It's still more of a marketing or promotion story, but it isn't that, like you said, this this sad funnel where so much energy is, is put, for, in my opinion, these really inhumane advertising strategies is that we just basically want to pound enough people into submission, get them to buy our product, and then hopefully we'll have high switching costs so they don't leave. Right? I mean, that even the way that you would view that relationship is not humane. But like you said, if you if you have a good brand and you're doing it from the bottom up, they love doing business with you. It 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 resonates with them. It aligns so much so that they want to tell their friends, like I I love this, and right. And then you you can go back to all the metrics too on customer acquisition versus customer retention. Right? It's always in the company's best to retain a customer than it is to acquire new. And so, yeah, I love what you're saying too, and aligning with, again, I feel like there's some big principles that we periodically learn generationally. And then we, we, for some reason, we forget when it comes to like strong leadership or being our best self. Uh, yeah. So I'm just, sorry, I'm processing a lot of what you're, you're saying. And as we were getting ready for our conversation today, one of the things I was thinking about, is from from education like going through school system our jobs one of the big gaps that i see is just how we could be better at goodness of fit right with that that we're like the the talents and perspectives that certain people and what 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 role they might have in an organization how they could contribute right and um how might we get better at allowing authentic selves to show up and what i'm hearing in your is some of that has to start with us though right is that we we have to own that and we have to know like really what motivates us and then like a good brand it can serve as a filter like you know what attracts and repels you you can also align and when you're aligned with your customers i'm feeling this kind of kind of harmony and organization or, or resonance in if, if we have this kind of alignment, but your, your statement, which I very much love, but sounds challenging to starting with who, right. It, and so I, I'm finding a lot of power in that and sorry that I'm, I'm just rambling is, am I connecting the dots? Am I seeing these somewhat in, yeah, in your worldview? Yeah, keep going. Okay. That's exactly right. I, I, I think it all comes down to 
you know, I I I, I love uh, Simon Sinek's start with why. I think the benefit that he has gotten people to look beyond the short-term what. What are we doing today? What are we doing today? And like, why are you doing it? So yay, kudos. He's at least gotten people to kind of step back and say why. But but whose why? My why is different than your why. And if I don't understand me and you don't understand you and I don't understand you and you don't understand me, we're never going to align on a why or we'll, we'll give it lip service and we'll say we're aligned and then we'll create some meaningless, you know, 10 sentence mission statement that sits on a wall and we're really not aligned. Right. So absolutely. Yeah. Sorry. I just wanted to hear. Yeah. When you said, and when you were talking about kind of the values or mission statements that go up, they, to me, they tend to just be word salad, like, right. That (laughs) there's a word, Oh, that that's a good word too. But what do they really mean? Or how, how, how do, do people feel that internally when they walk into the company or when they see that on the wall, does that fill them with pride? Like this is an organization I am proud to be at, or it helps me be me. And I love helping this company you really don't have the right. It usually is just something on a wall and then they could check a box and then move on to the next challenge. I think what happens when we start practicing resonance, it's one of my favorite practices. I start with a lot of times with my clients, do you know what yes and no feel like in your body? If you like imagine a time when you felt like this giant hell yes, that you were in exactly where you needed to be. And what does that feel like? And and most people are really good at feeling no. There's a like an instant contraction, like shoulders roll in, stomach gets tight. Like there's a somatic response, right? To what we intrinsically know is a yes or a no. So I'd say that that's like at the most basic level of resonance. And when we start tuning into our own body responses to the world and to what literally resonates, um, then we start picking up on um, when, when we feel real kinship with someone or when we don't, uh, you know, and it doesn't come down to, um, I'll give I'll give it I'll give it a good example. I've actually been talking with someone who hopefully will be um, part of the team, and I was talking about the values that deeply resonate with me, and she's like, I feel those values in my body, because she's done that work too, and I think we've so over rotated on being in our heads and analysis that we've completely disconnected ourselves from the from the neck down. Actually, a uh, um, Johnny Moore, if you have talked to him, calls it brain on a stick. And I think we've got a bunch of people, like millions of people, brains on sticks that have just completely disconnected from themselves. And so that idea of authentic resonance and, and knowing how things feel in your body uh, is a really good first indication of, do I belong here? Is this for me? Is this my home? And when you're walking into a place where that is the culture where everyone's encouraged to actually be themselves and to show up authentically and to challenge the status quo that they see without fear of recrimination, um, 
to, to be the rebel or the bridge builder or the sense maker or whatever they are that really lights them up. Um, yeah, that's when, that's when the whole hell yes resonance happens. I love it. I love it. Uh, yeah, especially too, like, uh, as you were thinking about that, you know, I'm struggling a little bit more with, you know, maybe what the hell yes feels like versus the, 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 no, the, the, you know, the kind of acid in the, the stomach or the shoulder rolling in, like trying to get into a protective stance, right? See and feel those a lot. And right, like how much, how much more rewarding is it to, to be in that hell yes mode is, is really exciting. Uh, when you were, you're talking about, uh, I just want to go back to one of, one of the other things with brand uh, one of the ways that I had use like kind of to, to look or filter at brands and uh my understanding is that i think we both have a communication undergrad background uh so I'm not, are you familiar with symbolic convergence theory no but please please tell me more so the the rough background is ernie borman who is studying teams and team dynamics uh 50 60 70 well really 60s and 70s is when this was taking off at the university of minnesota he was looking at communication in groups, but when he would find that two people had who had never met but had some similar experiences, how their bodies would change, their emotions yeah. would change. And it was like one example would be he was basically doing a focus group and there were from different generations, there were two different Marines in the room. And once one found the other was a Marine, right? The other said, like Semper Fi and their postures change, right? They and they had the shared experience, even though they didn't know each other. And uh, then this had developed into more of a, a dramatism view of the world. But then where symbolic convergence, the, the elements for me that kick in on the brands, and that's where I feel like that tribal component. And when you know it's a fit or not, both internally and as, as it operates with customers. But symbolic convergence theory looks at meaning, motive, identity, uh, and those components and that those are all potential like potential energy in in our communication and in our symbols that we use and that they may resonate uh negatively right uh, like you might you might see a bumper sticker and say oh that's somebody in my tribe or oh that's one of those assholes right or sometimes you don't even get it right it just stays neutral but looking looking at that as well as these these connections to where people find meaning motive identity is is so important and i think those i feel like branding has just become an advertising exercise i feel like it's and and that's where i saw a lot of hope in in cx and customer centricity because i it was getting deeper back to the needs and and how do people feel like they're a good fit but i just want with the kind of on a little bit of a resonant side is where i do feel like those good brands they they speak to people and like stuff that they can feel Right, that and and that they they trust, and also uh, as you mentioned, ecosystems too. Is that uh, I believe they're all organic and they all have shelf lives. Right, that uh, they're going to form, they're going to go, and then they they can collapse. And um, one of the one last thing on SCT, symbolic convergence, that I always found interesting is one of the claims though is the seed for a drama's destruction is sown at its beginning. Um, and so it's it's sometimes it's just that you can't like the march of dimes when they cured polio that was their reason for being and they succeeded but then there was no reason for that right and and it takes different forms and 
I've just found that being a really interesting lens, but uh, it's harder to get business people to buy off on. We want to look at motive, identity, and emotion in in the message when it's like, no, we got to talk about the features. We we got to do price point comparison, right? As if if as we're setting up rational tests for every customer. Well, I've actually had the good fortune to work with some rock star researchers who. I mean, the way that we that I have sold emotion in the past in a very dry environments is we can literally do regression analysis and mirror like my job was if a customer feels, you know, let's say if your entire customer base improves feeling in control of blah, 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 by 1%, it's predicted to generate an incremental $500 million in revenue, right? We can, we can literally map if we do the research and the data structure, right? Yep. Uh, map behavioral, uh, activity to how they feel and not feeling like I'm satisfied or I'm happy. Those are so, those are meaningless. And we've actually run regression models against like, let's compare satisfaction to a motivating emotion that's connected to a core need. So um, feeling more in control, or I feel more free, or I feel empowered, I feel safe, I feel, you know, whatever it is, um, you can literally back into the predictive power of emotion on business results. And then once you understand that, so for example, control and freedom generate completely different business models. So if I need to feel in control as a customer, that means I want to do it myself. That means you as a brand need to provide me easy to use tools and information so that I am empowered to go do it. That puts me in control. Right. If I want to feel free, I want you to do it for me. And it's probably more of a service model, right? So, so the, the, the idea of, of emotion and the role of emotion is way bigger than this is like some soft and mushy thing that the marketing department does. It literally touches every single thing in the business. I love it. And just uh, kind of backing out of some of what you've said is like, I feel like a lot of those key components like freedom, uh, security, esteem, some of those that have been, and when those are low in a category, you're also seeing an area that's ripe for disruption. 100%. Right. So, I mean, think, thinking about, uh, again, going back to, to Uber and I'm, I'm just conveniently setting kind of some of the ethical and, you know, some of the key actors at Uber, but what yeah. that spoke to, to individuals, but is versus a normal taxi ride, like in a, in a traditional large city, do I, do I feel like I have uh, freedom to, to book what I want? No, I'm just at the whim of, well, do I have much control? No. Am I going to feel safe in a cat? Don't know. Right. <laughs> and, uh, it might be pretty gross when I get in the back seat, but it, it was it, this was more of a you'll get what you get, right? <laughs> Not through a fit kind of mentality. And you, mm -hmm. so I've I've always as I've looked back at some industries too. We look at the cable industry. Did people feel like they were in control about what channels they could select or pay for? No, right? Yeah. Did they? Did it allow freedom? No. Was it? Was there a lot of us? No. If it was basically, you were either going to rely on over the air which is unreliable in a lot of places in America, or 
here here's what you're going to get and then we've it's still not sorted but we've seen like disruption there and so your your notion too on what makes the good stuff i could also see if if companies were better at looking at how customers felt i think innovators could find really rich areas for disruption just where where are these scores low in a category and that could be a really ripe area to to develop new business you know, it, it's also uh, one of the best ways to extend into adjacent territory um, in terms of innovation. So right. Richard Branson's a genius at this, right? And so is Steve Jobs, because what they've done is they identified Apple's a bit more of an identity play, but it's still a, an emotional and identity play, right? But I, I knew that I was going to feel the same way no matter what Apple product I bought or, you know, Branson's, you know, rebel nature. If you identify with that, then, you know, you're going to get that kind of experience, whether, it, you know, it's a record or it's an airline or it's a train or whatever. So when we're starting to anchor, and this is where start with who comes from, who is your best fit customer? Is it a rebel or is it someone who's very risk averse and, and wants like safety? Those are utterly different kinds of human beings. So start with the who, but that also means that the people internally need to understand that mindset enough to be not just like, oh, let me go study that customer like a zoo animal. But no, I deeply understand that because I am that person and I get that person on a deeply intrinsic level and I know what motivates them. Thank you. Uh, wanted, uh and and I think we've been touching on this area, but I wanted to move explicitly kind of into the stuck unstuck realm. And so you you had talked about like in in some ways this this big getting unstuck for you, right? I mean, you you bought a one way ticket to to Europe. I mean, it was that's hardcore, right? But yeah. generally, kind of from your you know as you approach your craft, uh, do you do you feel stuck? And what are your tips or techniques for, for getting unstuck? Uh, actually, I'm glad you asked that because I'm literally launching a get unstuck program, uh, <laughs> like in the next couple of weeks. Um, All right. And, and it will, I'm just your setup person. I'll, I'll you, 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 I'll no, set it up. You spike about it. This. Yeah. Uh, but, but great. Everybody stay tuned. Um, so how I have figured out how to get unstuck is to get out of my head first and foremost, because what happens, especially if you're a fast thinker and you've learned how to rely on your brain, that you can go around and round and round and round in circles on, you know, trying to justify, as you mentioned, we're like rationalization engines. And I think that that's really where even all my clients get stuck too, is everyone just gets stuck in their head. So how do we step out of that? So I have uh, what I call the whole mind model. So it, it, uh, it honors the fact that we have multiple intelligences in our, in our body. Um, we have a hundred million neurons in our guts. We have 40 million neurons in our heart centers. Um, so there's analyzing mind, which we need to get out of. There's connecting mind, which is I see patterns and dots and how, how can I find the third way between two binary options? That's number one that I usually do. And it's an easy one. If you're debating, do I do this or that? What, and I just ask, what's the third way? And usually that will open up like, oh, I can either combine them or I can, you know, explore a third or fourth or fifth way. You know, it's like, it can be both or neither. 
Um, then there's uh, sensing mind, feeling into what is yet like, what does yes feel like? Does this feel like a yes? Um, what is your body doing? I'm, I'm uh, almost finished with my presence-based coach training where there's some really cool somatic, like the way that our body holds patterns, old even thought patterns and how we move and how we sit. So there's a few cool exercises just in how we move our body and really noticing that and the sensations. Uh, feeling mind, our emotional mind. So how do I want to feel? And will this choice help me feel that way or not? Uh, pretty simple. Uh, and then the last one's relating mind, uh, social. So do you just need to talk through it with someone? Or uh, you, it was something that you talked about earlier was this, um, the resonance and I call it relational field between two humans. Um, but there's something around uh, tribe and, you know, kind of talking through that. Uh, so essentially tapping into each one of those, those modes and just seeing what gets un unblocked. Thank you. I, I love it. Uh, yeah. And when you were, you were, you were talking about the the number of neurons that we have in different parts of our our body. Uh, there there's a designer by the name of Andrew Hinton, and he had a book about context and just the importance of context and design. But I remember, he and I had a conversation, and and it would be so much better if I could remember the author's name. But it was a World War II pilot who, after his experience in World War II started looking at the body as a sensory system right and it was like just all the different ways that we combine to to shape information that we need uh right and similar to what you're describing and and because of the the era it wasn't as you know inter but it was just that we do we do have sense of touch we have you know and and our arms and legs are extensions of and it's looking at a nervous system really like rather than just like a brain on a stick like yeah so and i think there's feels like yeah there's so much potential there too to just better understand that and and then what that might offer uh so i'm 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 excited about your 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 unstuck work yeah no thank you and i think that what happens is when we individually can tap into our wholeness, the whole self, then we can create organizations or communities or systems that are also whole. Right, right, right. Yeah, no, that's, yeah. I think to, to your point earlier too, that so much power there in, in helping organizations be better or, you know, like kind of the regenerative versus extractive. Right. I, I do feel like one thing that traditionally businesses are great at and really efficient is, is being extractive, right? Like doing some really short-term things, but without what is, what's the consequence or what's the longer term play. Uh, switching gears to a little bit. Um, so you're, cause you're, you're, you're such a wise person. So I, I do want to make sure that I, I cover kind of the, the advice area. And when I talk to guests advice, sometimes, and I, I, this doesn't need to be prescriptive, but sometimes it feels like it goes in. And I'm really sensitive after you've said, you know, why not both, either, none, but uh, <laughs> two general paths that they tend to take is sometimes we're, we're smarter than we think when we're younger and, a, and an elder hands us some advice and we, we, it almost sounds nonsensical, right? 
And, but later it was, we realized that it was a pretty, pretty elegant payload that they gave us to understand life. Others, I steal from Austin Kleon's book, Steal Like an Artist. When we're giving advice, we're just talking to our younger self is, is Cleon's claim. So either or both, uh, like any uh, good advice that you received in your life or advice you, you wish maybe you had received earlier in your career? No, both of those are, are I think, uh, really good. I think the one piece of advice I wish I had gotten much younger is to get out of my head, that my head does not have all the answers um, and to really pay attention to my my body and the signals and and uh and to trust my intuition to, to trust my gut yeah i didn't know how to do that that would be that would be absolutely number one um the the piece of advice that someone gave me that i thought was great was never complain never explain I, now, now I, I'm, I'm going to have to ask you to explain that one. Uh, it, no, it sounds great, but but uh, it sounds powerful. What what resonated with you, and and how has that shown itself to be true over time? It's more about so complain. Don't complain. I.e., right. uh, you know, accept what is and yeah. make a choice about it, and be more empowered than just you know, complaining, explaining is giving away your power. Also, I think both of them are about giving away your power. Uh, if I feel the compulsive need to explain myself to everybody, then I'm not standing in my power and choices and authority. And uh, not saying that, you know, if someone asked me why, whatever, I'm not going to, you know, give right, them right. But it's yeah. this, this feeling that we have to justify ourselves or apologize for ourselves or explain ourselves. And uh, I don't think it's, it's needed. And it's so much more powerful when we can just state what we need, or we just state no, or we just, you know, be able to set our boundaries without, um, or, you know, this deep need to explain myself to people who innately misunderstand me because I have a quirky brain and I'm not understood by a lot of people. I used to try to explain myself all the time is like, oh, it's just this misunderstanding and it's my responsibility to explain myself. And, and it's like, no, once I finally understood that I'm, you know, a very small quirky brain percentage of the population, it was just this huge relief, like, oh, thank God, if they don't get me, they don't get me. And I'm not going to waste my time explaining myself. Yeah. I, it, and as, as you said that, too, that to me, that feels like it 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 sits so squarely in good, authentic brands. Is right? like a, a, yeah. a good, authentic brand doesn't have to keep explaining itself. Here's why we're great. It's like, here's who we are you're on board or you're not you get it or you don't it's it's again i where i think like as a filter or a sort system good brands that can attract the like minds right and, and so thank thank you for thank you for explaining i i i appreciate that but yeah i do like i the the notion that it's like you don't always have to justify yourself and you're, you're probably just burning precious cycles that aren't even going to matter to the person you're explaining it to. And as somebody that, that lives in their own head way too much to, I could hear like that, the, there was almost a sense of peace that I heard with them. Like, oh yeah. Maybe if I could just 
I, I don't need to burn those many cycles. This is this is the way I see it. I don't have to keep explaining it. Yeah. So, Jen, were there any things that you know thinking about coming on the podcast? Were there any things we didn't cover that you thought we might uh, touch on in our conversation today? No, uh, this was terrific. You covered more things than I even thought we might cover. So I love these kind of conversations, the ramble and, and cover all kinds of topics. So thank you for having me on. Well, yeah, thank you so much. I'm uh, a fan of your work. And so it was an honor having having you here. And I, I really, really appreciate you you taking the time and, and playing along as, as it's only a few prompts. Don't know where it's going to go. And I, I really do appreciate you.